This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, and welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and once again, I'm joined by my fellow editors, Nathan Makaborski. Hello. And John Schwartz. Hello. So we just finished signing off on the May issue of Yankees Magazine, but while we're still in April, I really wanted to talk about a story John wrote about Jacoby Ellsbury and his Native American roots. And I'll start by reading just a couple paragraphs from that story from the April issue, which is called In His Blood. The sun rises hot and high over the long desert road, our cruise control set at a brisk 90 miles per hour. We're two hours west of Phoenix, two hours north of Mexico, and about an hour east of our destination, but we might as well be a few days from anywhere. Cars blow past at an easy hundred, leaving our Hyundai SUV rumbling in the aftermath. The southwestern state is no stranger to baseball. Every February, it welcomes 15 major league teams for spring training, plus there's the Arizona Fall League action, minor league games, and the Diamondbacks home slate. For certain people, a baseball trip to Arizona is part of something larger, maybe a visit to the Grand Canyon or Sedona. Rarely does it lead here, though. We're going where the story isn't, or at the very least, where it isn't anymore. The small town of Parker, Arizona, isn't where Jacoby Ellsbury was born, and it's not where he developed his love of baseball and other sports. It's not where he was discovered and subsequently drafted by the Red Sox, but this checkerboard community of Native American and non-tribal land lives deep within him, a crucial piece of his origin story. And in a way that straddles the line between comfortable and not, it continues to tell the story of America as a whole. John, first of all, where did the idea for this story come from, and how did it evolve as you dove deeper into Native American culture? Well, it's kind of funny. It evolved from my looking for a way to get on the road in the winter somewhere away from the stadium to find a story. I knew that Jacoby Ellsbury had the Native American roots, although I don't think I knew the full story. I knew that he had a camp in Arizona in January. And the funny thing is what started just from that point then turned into a total snowball of other stories on top of it. So his camp is in Scottsdale and I found out that he actually spent some time in this town Parker, Arizona. And then I found out that's only about three hours from Phoenix and maybe it would be fun to drive out there. And I started calling around to different places there, seeing how I could visit. And I started doing some research on this town and this tribe, the Colorado River Indian tribes. And I found out that their flag was designed by Margie McCabe, who is Jacoby Ellsbury's mother. And so I started making some more phone calls to different places to see if anyone might have anything to tell me. And the moment that I really decided I had to do the story was I literally was just calling phone numbers for departments of the Crit tribe and the Parker City Council, all, all these things. And one number that I called, I get a voicemail and it's, you know, hi, you've reached Esther McCabe. And in my head, I was like, okay, you know, another McCabe. This whole family seems to be all over the place. I would find out when I got out there that that was just the tip of the iceberg. 
so the, the, all those coincidences on top of another, I decided I had to go out and see this. And I'm glad I did. I really saw a very interesting, very difficult in a lot of ways, but also very nice place where family and tribe and all of these things kind of intersect in ways that create this really interesting community that's a very big part of Jacoby Ellsbury's life. How insulated is it, I guess? Like, how rare is it for somebody like a Jacoby Ellsbury to go out and have huge success? Like, how often does that happen to a tribe like that or, or a community like that? Well, not a lot and not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they talk about when you're out there, they talk about Phoenix as though it's kind of another world in a lot of ways. It's a place where, you know, a lot of the people I spoke to out there, and, and, I, and I, I want to be very clear, I was out there for you know, a day. I, I don't claim to understand everything about them. A lot of them had never been to Phoenix, um, which is three hours away, less than that, really. Um, and a lot of them are very, it should be said, very happy about not having been out there. That's a different world to them. They don't want to go out there. It's kind of like nestled in this little spot along the river, which is, you know, a couple, maybe three, four hours from Los Angeles, maybe three hours from Las Vegas, about three hours from Phoenix. But like I say in the story, it's, uh, it's very much its own place. John, what is Jacoby's connection exactly to this place? Because a lot of people know of him from Oregon, uh, a guy who played college ball at Oregon State. So what exactly was the connection between Jacoby and Arizona? Jacoby only spent about two years there. But one thing I found is that, you know, everyone kind of knew him and he was important to them. And different people that I spoke to had different stories about him. And, you know, I kind of, at times when I was doing it, I was a little bit wondering, am I making more of this tie that he has to this place than is necessary? I mean, he only spent a few years there, you know, what did it really mean? And then after I got through with it and I was speaking to him, he mentioned to me that uh, his daughter, who was born during spring training this year, he gave her the middle name Parker. And that kind of let me in on the idea that, obviously... I wasn't creating a connection where there wasn't one. Clearly, this place is pretty uh, special to him. You've written about Jacoby before for Yankees Magazine. You did a cover story on him a couple years ago. So you've spoken to him here in the clubhouse numerous times. Did you see a different side of him when you were out there for the clinic, the camp that he holds for the kids out there? Other than the time that I had done the full story on Jacoby, I had really, and that was in 2014, I had interacted with him very little. So when we got out to Arizona, I was a little bit, you know, nervous. He's quiet. He's very reserved in general. And the guy I saw out there couldn't have been more different. First off, um, when we met him beforehand to talk about it, he was very engaged about talking about his heritage and about, you know, his goals for this camp and the issues in the community out there. You know, with uh, childhood obesity, it's, it's getting them active, getting them outside, getting them moving, getting them playing sports. It, you can learn a lot from it, but at the same time, it's you know it, it, it it'll make you feel better. It'll get your energy up, and they can they can just learn a lot. And yeah, they're they're doing something for their body that they don't even realize they're doing, having fun doing it. So that's the biggest thing. Issues like diabetes, issues like a incredibly high and sad uh, suicide rate. Um, he he knew the numbers, and he was really telling me, you know, all these things. And then when we got to the camp before it opened. We sat there as he was really discussing with the people running the camp exactly what he wanted. This year, he became extremely hands-on, and you could see it. I mean, this wasn't a guy who was giving his name to this camp and then kind of sitting back and watching it. He went station to station. There were about 100 kids who were doing this, and it was all kids from different reservations you know, around the area, including some from Parker. About 20 kids came out from Parker, 
and he was interacting with all of them. He was chatty. He was funny. He was emotional. And he was really loving the experience that he was getting of doing this. This is not something that he keeps on his portfolio of ways to look good. This is clearly something that is uh, deep within him. This is the uh, sixth camp. Um, you know, it's the one day I look forward to all, all year. And, you know, I love seeing the, the smiles on their faces. I, I just look forward to it. You know, it's making an impact on, on young kids' lives, and it's really to get them moving, to get them active. Um, so to get back to really what your question was, I did see a different side of him. I don't think there would be any way not to see a different side of him. This was literally the most literally and figuratively at home I've ever seen Jacoby. In general, in the past, Native American stories have not been told in in the ways that they should have been or have been brushed over. So how do you feel about telling the story and how did Jacoby and, and the rest of the Native American tribe that you were in touch with feel about telling the story? I mean, it was a concern for sure. And I think I can't say enough about how um, open and welcoming everyone was to me. It is a very insular community and I, they wouldn't like talk to me until I, you know, wrote official permission letters to the head of the tribe and things like that. A lot of the stuff they told me they had to keep, you know, embargoed off the record for a while until they got permission to actually have it all printed. They had to actually have a tribal council meeting to discuss our recording them talking about the tribe. So that part was difficult, but they couldn't have been more helpful. And when I say helpful, I'm not just talking about, you know, the wonderful things that, uh, you know, family life is like out there. They were really giving me, you know, the hardships. And a lot of it is our country's history. And a lot of it is also just, you know, a function of how these particular people and this particular land happens to work. But I think it was important to everyone we spoke to that, you know, even though we were just kind of dropping in for a little while, they wanted us to get as real a picture as possible, the good and the bad of what life is like out there and the way the community works and the way the community integrates. And it's, I mean, I couldn't have gotten this just by, you know, searching the internet or by making some phone calls. I was really happy to see how it all goes out there. When you pitched this story for the magazine, did you ever expect it to take the turns that it did? I didn't expect it to take the turns it did until literally I was writing it. You know, another funny thing is that I was, I remember I was going on Facebook because I wanted to find some pictures of, of the camp itself because I wanted to confirm one fact. And I found, you know, some group's Facebook page that had pictures from the event. And the first comment there was this guy named Aaron Holt. And the comment is, oh, Jacoby Ellsbury, I played ball with him when he you lived in Parker. How cool. And so I'm just like, okay, you know, let's see what this is about. And I, you know, Facebook messaged him and was like, hey, let's chat. And he was excited to talk. He still lives in Parker. This all means the world to him. He was able to tell me all these stories about Jacoby as a kid. He was able to send me pictures of Jacoby as a kid. And all these things kind of just kept coming together. And it was really one thing on top of another, this very quickly stopped being a story about Yankees player runs camp um, for foundation and started being, you know, what I was happy to find was a, a deeper look into where this guy comes from, who he is, and what that tells us about him and this place where he came from. For the kids who took part in this camp, what did you kind of sense was the takeaway for them? I mean, was this a camp that was about honing skills? Was there a, a broader takeaway from this? I mean, the, the skill levels in this camp are very, very different. Um, 
I don't think that's the reason they're there. And, and it made me think a lot about, you know, the idea of tribalism. So you're at this camp and you have kids from all different tribes all over the place. And they, you know, they don't, sure, there were 20 of them from Crit, from Parker. The rest of them don't really have a connection to Jacoby other than that shared heritage. And it made me think a lot about myself. You know, I, I don't want to speak, for, Nate, I know you're from New Jersey. Hillary, you're from New York. I don't think to myself necessarily about great baseball players from Morris County, New Jersey, where I grew up. But, you know, I grew up to, you know, bedtime stories of Sandy Koufax and Hank Greenberg and other famous Jewish players. And this there's this idea of, you know, tribalism. So, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury has this connection to Parker, but I don't think that has anything to do with why a lot of these kids, you know, he means so much to them. That was my thinking, at least. But then when you talk to people from Parker who aren't members of the tribe or who didn't know him at all, there is that sense of, you know, this place that just needs people to emerge and that he has and that it means something to him and it's important to him. Every kid needs somebody to look up to. And I feel like Jacoby serves that purpose more so than than most in that in that culture specifically. And does he recognize that role? And what, what were his thoughts on playing that role in that Native American community where he's the guy that all of these kids are looking up to. I think it's huge for him. I think it, I, I don't think there's anything more important to him than spreading this message. I mean, Nate, to go back to what you were saying before, you know, Jacoby plays in New York and there are what, 40 writers in the clubhouse every day. And if he wanted to be a big media star, it would be very easy for him to sit by his locker and be in the newspaper every day. It's not something he seeks out though. So when you do see him doing things, putting himself out there, you get the sense that it must be because it's very important to him. And he puts himself out there for this. This is not a small thing he does. And it's hard because, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, there's parts of every culture that you want to celebrate. And unfortunately, you know, the Native American culture in this country, the hardship and the the crimes against them are kind of things that you can't just talk about in a whether it's a 3000 word story or a 10 minute interview to really get to the heart of it. And you see these kids there and you see their parents there, you know, and you want to say that, you know, it's 2017 and aren't we uh, evolved and aren't we, uh, you know, woke, if you will. <laughs> um, but it's hard. And uh, there's a woman I spoke to who her name is Sunny James and her daughter went to the camp and she was telling me all her daughter wants is to live on the reservation and all that she, Sunny, wants for her daughter is not to live on the reservation. She wants to live in the city so that she can get opportunities and so that she can learn how to get off the reservation in a sense. She goes to school in Scottsdale and the majority of the kids there are Anglo. And the reason why I put her in the school out there is because she has more opportunity to play better sports and to be in better programs and have better education. So it's, it's a struggle for her because she's always trying to find herself as um, a Navajo person. And it's, it's hard talking to them about this stuff. I can't imagine how hard it is living with this stuff. And so Sunny was just saying to me that, you know, for those few hours when she was among all Native American kids at this camp with a Native American hero to them, you know, it was hard not to feel a lot of pride on behalf of what Jacoby does and how he, what he gives his name to and what, uh, how he represents the Yankees when he's doing that. Speaking for myself, I thought this story was 
really really important and moving and I thought you did a great job with it and I think it's an important story to tell and I'm glad that we could tell it in Yankees Magazine to be honest agreed so that's in his blood in the April issue of Yankees Magazine can also be found at yankees.com slash magazine check us out online guys that's a great segue Nate (laughs) so coming up I interviewed one of the chefs at Yankee Stadium about what she's got cooking in the kitchens here then we all dive deeper into food here at the stadium and we discuss my food feature coming out in the May issue plus we all talk about what's exciting about this team this season so stick around there's more fun stuff coming away So here's the thing. I like food. And that's true for pretty much everybody who comes through the Yankee Stadium gates. This season, the chefs at the stadium really stepped up their food game, and I talked to one of them, April Camacho. It's like up and down stairs all day. So I'm just like constantly checking, making sure everyone's okay. If things go missing, I'll like run and find it. Between running around to all the different concessions areas and hours of prepping, April puts her training from the Culinary Institute of America to good use. I'm very proud of um, my steam bun. Like, those are my babies for sure. The steam buns April introduced to the stadium this season have been a big hit, but they're just a small part of who she is. While the Yankees were on a road trip, I caught up with April to hear about how she wound up in the Yankee Stadium kitchens and what inspires her the most. Here's some of our conversation. But I help out with all the new concession areas, and I also do the champions lunges. What brought you to the Yankees? Like, how did you come about this job? Because I worked restaurants in the city. I did catering, and I was a chef at a small wine bar, and I just needed a whole different setting. And I found it actually on LinkedIn, luckily <laughs> enough, and it like became like a dream come true. That's awesome. When did you become interested in cooking? I just knew that growing up, because I come from a really like culinary um, cooking family, Mm -hmm. like none of them are actually professional, but in (laughs) in the Philippines, everyone just cooks at home, and a lot of our bonding is based off food, like food events, like family gatherings, and like my mom cooks up like a huge meal, and that was, yeah, that was that. And in high school, I did a culinary boot camp. What is involved in a <laughs> culinary boot camp? Um, it was like French um, culinary center. And they took like a bunch of high schoolers that are interested in cooking. And we did like the basics of like frying an egg, scrambled <laughs> eggs, stuff like that. And I was like, I'm in love with this. Really? It yeah. was that? Like they gave us chef coats and like our own knives, mm-hmm. like a whole set for like a thousand bucks it was like a 10-week program do you still have those knives yeah (laughs) right after high school like did you go to culinary school no I actually was studying marketing for a year oh wow yeah and then I was like I don't like the regular (laughs) setting so I went to CIA after a year of business school what do you like to cook like what's your favorite thing to cook you have to pick something definitely I love making tacos And at the stadium, I'm very proud of um, my steam bun. Mm-hmm. The new one, yeah. The like bows? Yeah. Oh. Like, those are my babies, for sure. Tell like me, the bacon. yeah, tell me about those. So I did a feature about the, the food yeah. in Yankee Stadium, which is coming out next month. And I talked to Matt, and he was raving about them. Yep. So tell me about those and how you, like, came up with the idea and why you wanted to do them. It's funny, because 
when I, as soon as I started last year, when I went around the stadium, I was like, you guys need to have steam buttons mm-hmm. at the stadium. And I was like asking Buffa and everything. And then they finally, in the off season, were like, um, when we were just coming up with ideas, I was like, well, I'm, like I'm just going to make it. Mm-hmm. So I just made the, the bacon one, really. I just took the slab bacon that we have and I braised it and um, poison and beer for like a couple hours, put it in a bun with like pickled carrots and lime cilantro cream. And I was like, this is, it's gotta be it. <laughs> I mean, it was phenomenal. So I had like three of them and they were great. <laughs> Thanks. What else do you do here at the stadium? Like what else does your job entail? A lot of running. <laughs> okay. Like a lot of sprinting around the stadium because because I have to, like, check on the new party next door in the 300 level uh-huh. all the way down to the terraces. And then when I have a free minute, I'll go down to the champions' lounges. So it's, like, up and down stairs all day. So I'm just, like, constantly checking, making sure everyone's okay. If things go missing, I'll, like, run and find it. And what would go missing, I guess, is a good question. For example, like, like does the bacon disappear or something? It'll be, like, <laughs> just, like, a garnish, like a cup of cucumbers like cucumbers which seems so like so small Mm -hmm. but that alone i'll go to another kitchen find some cucumbers slice it real quick and then bring it down to the station (laughs) so like (laughs) something as small like that how much prep goes into a game for you for all the new concession items we take pretty much an entire day before the homestand oh wow of prepping how early before a game do you get to the stadium to start the process of cooking and getting all the food ready for guests um, to come through a seven o'clock game i'm in at 10 oh okay a.m. wow yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so a lot of all day of cooking yeah it's a lot of mental and physical preparation <laughs> <laughs> so what do you like to do outside the stadium outside the kitchen i'm a big music fan oh really yeah do you play yeah i was a total band geek in high school really i played like every instrument <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So what was what was your go-to instrument? Clarinet. Clarinet. Yeah. Do you still play? Yeah. <laughs> when did you start playing? Um, when I was 10 years old. And, yeah, and I'm also big in concerts, too. Like, I love going to concerts. Like, if I could go every weekend, I would. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm big on, like, music festivals, stuff like that. What draws you to music? I don't know. It's just, like, a whole different world. I connected to food a lot too because just like reading music is kind of like reading a recipe and then um I don't know like when you even like at the stadium the fans alone like enjoying a single sport is like such unity and so it is at a concert like everyone that likes the same band they're all enjoying the same kind of music it's just a fun thing that's a great way to put it yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so how does cooking at a stadium compare to the other jobs that you held it honestly it ties it all together because I've also worked in catering and if I didn't have all those different experiences like I never would have been able to adapt to this because high volume to like there's the legends restaurants Mm -hmm. the little lounges are like their own little restaurants it's just it's a mix of catering, restaurants, a la carte, all mm-hmm. of that put together. But this is like the craziest job I've ever had, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> How do you feel about the different food trends that are going on? How do you 
recognize like the changes in the in the trends in food it's um it's very up and down because of social media because people see it on instagram one moment and then they go the next and they forget all about what's Whatever happening it was, yeah. yeah like i saw the other day i saw like the did you see the spaghetti donut oh my god yeah yeah, it looks gross. Yeah, it's totally <laughs> weird. But people are lining up like crazy to it. Uh huh. So, what's best part about working here? Best part is probably just seeing, just like looking into the crowd, and just and just seeing the field every day is totally insane. Like I'm at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. Like that's so insane. <laughs> like like even while I'll be like just standing there totally stressed and yeah. I just look out and I'm like oh my god it's baseball like it's pretty the, cool yeah that's it's totally cool. the best part okay so we're what almost a month into the season now how about them Yankees guys <laughs> how about them Yankees <laughs> They have been fun to watch. They have. There's been some uh, some contributions from basically every part of the lineup. I mean, the starting pitching has been good. Bullpen, as expected, has been great. A couple guys have been out of the lineup, but the guys who have been asked to step in have, have done a great job so far. So and it's look, been a lot of fun. It's obviously no surprise that Ronald Torres is, you know, the best offensive <laughs> star on this team. Uh, we could have predicted this before the season started. Honestly, we would be nowhere without Ronald Torres. Yeah. But it's pretty fun to watch uh, – First off, I mean, it's, it's always fun to watch the ball fly over the fence the way that it is right now for this team. Um, I Honestly, Aaron Judge's batting practice sessions are about as fun as any baseball game I've ever been to. True story. I was walking onto the field for batting practice. Aaron Judge was taking swings, and he hit a ball so hard, it literally stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, where did that ball even go? I watched it fly, and I didn't see it land. It was incredible. And then he just does it in the game. He does the same thing in the game. You know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, I do think that the home run derby this year with Giancarlo Stanton and presumably Aaron Judge is going to be one of the greatest events ever. You know, a lot of times you get caught up in the baseball of, you know, watching the results and watching, you know, kind of looking up from your computer screen when there's a crack of a bat and seeing what happened. It's been really fun this year to watch Chase Headley. As you can literally, I almost feel, watch his mind working. This guy who got so beat down by the shift last year, and you can see the way he's going, you know, opposite field now, the way he's bunting into the shift, the way he's hitting into the shift, and having remarkable success this year. It's not just see the ball, hit the ball, obviously. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into succeeding in baseball, but when you actually see the steps that it's taking, in a sense, it's a lot of fun to watch. For sure. And I think almost any player, you know, you you hope that, they just continue to move in the right direction. And, uh, you know, you hope to see improvement. And with Judge, I think that's the biggest thing. You know, there were so many questions heading into this season about whether he was going to be able to cut down on his strikeout rate. And his at-bats have looked great for the most part. And, you know, the same thing with Starling Castro just continues to kind of show that he's he's still got room to grow. And he's he's been putting in the work to, you know, ensure that that continues to be the case think about what's going to happen once we get Didi back and we have our middle infield at full strength and and then Sanchez will come back and yeah Gary Sanchez we, where he'll hit the ball yeah so uh May should be a, a really uh a fun month around here I think uh we got some good teams coming in the Yanks have a road trip to uh Wrigley Field and and Cincinnati so 
there's going to be a lot of games and a lot of series worth keeping an eye on. Obviously in May, uh, the big thing to keep an eye out for, though, is going to be all the Derek Jeter stuff going on when the team retires his number on May 14th, puts him in Monument Park. It's kind of interesting when you think of the guys who have come in recently and now Derek Jeter. I mean, this is just so much of our generation in a lot of ways. I don't know if it ages us or ages them or just (laughs) what it is exactly, but the idea of Derek Jeter, obviously he belongs there. Obviously there was no question he would be there, but uh, I don't know. For some reason that just feels like a weird one to me that went to watch it happen. It's going to be interesting. Uh, It is. It's on us. It's on us now to to tell their stories. Um, You know, these guys that we all grew up watching um you know in our last episode i talked about sitting in yankee stadium and hearing you know older people tell me stories about mickey mantle well now that's going to be us telling stories about you know bernie williams and tino martinez and now you know of course Derek jeter who is our may cover subject so should we talk a little bit about the may magazine now there's some really cool features in may nate you got a adela batanzas story John wrote an awesome story about the Negro Leagues. We'll get into that probably next episode. I wrote a story about food, yes. which was filling <laughs> and fulfilling. It is a delicious story. <laughs> quite, quite yummy. Do, um, do not read while hungry. <laughs> or do, please. Yeah. Go and try all of the food that I ate. There's still some left over. I promise I didn't eat it all. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, new food offerings here at the stadium this year. So so many. My stomach is still digesting all of them. Yes. Was there one that you just still think about when you go back to like if you're if you if it's lunchtime and you're starving and you could pick one that you tried here at the stadium? To pick one is really hard, Nate. It's really hard. Um the Yankee Dinger. What's a dinger? A dinger is what they called it an ode to a White Castle burger. I mentioned this in the last episode, and it was phenomenal. It's small, it's a cheeseburger on a like a slider bun tastes good but also i mean if you go to mighty quinn's and you want barbecue get the the brisket get Mm. the pulled pork and little bells has these loaded steak and potato fries that could feed like a family of six that i ate a whole thing of by myself and it was amazing there's really no bad option is the problem, but not the problem. It's a good problem to have. I seem to remember you talking about what might have been the best tangerine you ever had. Oh my god, I had a, an amazing tangerine. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. Listen, I'm not. I don't really like citrus fruit. This is like a thing for me, guys. That's getting a little confessional, but I don't like citrus fruit very much. I don't eat a lot of it. I honestly wasn't excited to eat it because, first of all, I'd it's eaten, a tangerine. It's a tangerine, and second of all, I'd eaten like sixteen thousand things at that point. So, <laughs> Like, I don't want this, but I'm going to eat it anyway, and it, I could have eaten just the tangerines. There's going to be a Hillary Georgie-inspired run on tangerines <laughs> in the stadium <laughs> next homestand. Get some stock in tangerines, everybody, because I'm going to buy all of them. They're really good. Just the fruit in general at the Melissa's Farmer's Market. I feel like that it flies way under the radar, but, like, if you want a healthy snack at Yankee Stadium, go to the Farmer's Market. Get a tangerine, I mean, or an apple, or a banana, whatever. But really the tangerines. Really the tangerines, honestly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, a lot of these new food offerings are in – kind of new spaces here at Yankee Stadium. They did some pretty heavy renovations this off season. So, you know, the first month of the season, we kind of had an opportunity to go out and explore. And the weather was okay the first month, but you can sort of envision, 
you know, now that it's starting to warm up, like being out there in those terraces and center field. And, you know, we spent our off season working here in the stadium in a construction zone. And then you get to opening day and opening day is always like kind of like an unveiling in a sense. And it's always fun and pretty and, you know, you're back. But to see the stadium kind of looking as different as it did to see the new spaces on opening day. And if you look to those terraces there, they were packed with people who clearly seem to be enjoying themselves. I think if the idea was to get, you know, social gathering spaces and give people a place to hang out during the game, it looked pretty effective. Like you said, when the weather gets nice, I think that's going to be the place to be. Mm-hmm. For sure. I've had people texting me over the weekend like, oh, what's the deal with these new areas in the bleachers? I was like, go there. They're fun. That's where you want to be. And Nate, you were writing something for May. There's also the concert series that happens there oh, that's on right. Fridays. That's right. uh, What's the story with that? Yeah, so on certain, not every Friday, but on uh, certain Fridays, they have live music out there in the Master Pass Batter's Eye deck. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> still, still familiarizing myself with all the names of these new spaces. Uh, but yeah, it's really cool. Like shortly after gates open, they have live music out there and the concession stands are open. And uh, again, one of those things where when you get a nice night and you're at Yankee Stadium, there's few better places to be in New York City. Yeah. And here's the thing. Nate is an expert guitarist, <laughs> so I imagine he's going to get his booking agent working on uh, getting him a gig out there. Expert is a very – you throw that term around very loosely. But... <laughs> I am <laughs> sure, an expert podcaster. <laughs> I'm expert at eating tangerines. That's, that's about it. The citrus people are going to love you after this podcast. Everyone needs a niche. Sponsored by Citrus Fruits, Yankees Magazine podcast. (laughs) Thanks again for joining us, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate us if you like us. Check us out online and follow us on social media. We are at Yanks Magazine. Also, we're online, yankees.com slash magazine, yankees.com slash podcast. Check us out. We're everywhere. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.